epic story, and it begins with that wicked king who is having a huge party for all of his friends, and at the end, when he and his friends have had a few too many, he says, ah, let's have the queen prated in front of us, and the queen says no. And so the king banishes her, is rid of her, and he goes off to war for five, six years, maybe four, who knows, somewhere in there, and it doesn't go so well, and he comes back, and chapter two comes, and he isn't so happy. He remembers the queen, and maybe he wonders what happened to her, and I don't know if there's any regret, but whatever the case, his advisors are like, got to do something about this, and so they propose a a contest of sorts. The losers all get to be part of the king's harem and the winner gets to be queen. Sounds like the kind of contest you'd want to enter into, right? Either way, you end up sort of being a slave and a servant to the king. Well, as kind of a postscript at the end of that chapter where Esther, the hero of the story, I guess, wins the contest is that her uncle, Mordecai, discovers a plot against the king. And it is found to be true, and so, in fact, this person who has won this contest and her uncle, the king is indebted to them and owes them his life. Well, not long after, the villain shows up. Haman, the Agagite, and of course there's a long history. The Agagites and God's people, they were kind of at enmity and at war with each other for, at this point, probably going on a thousand years. And so, you know, there are grudges and then there are grudges. These are kind of the elevated highest level of grudges that you would hold and probably went both directions to some degree. And so Haman plots and he ingratiates himself to the king and he plots against the Jews, and he gets a decree. And the end of chapter 3 has a decree going out for the destruction of all of the Jews about a year later. And as the decree goes out and the city goes into disarray, the king and Haman sit down to drink. Pass me a beer. Well, chapter 4, word comes from Mordecai to Queen Esther listen, our destruction's been decreed. You've got to do something. And so Esther says, all right, I'll gather all my people. We're going to fast. Mordecai, you have all the Jews fast and pray. At the end of that time, I will go to the king. And the only caveat or challenge to the situation is that the king has a guy with an axe right there ready to chop anyone's head if you show up without invitation. So there's a kind of a high-stakes, uh, loser-is-dead sort of game going on. Well, Esther goes to the king, and the king receives her with favor. He holds out his golden scepter, and he, the king says, What do you want? She's like, anything you want, I'll give it to you. And Esther says, Well, why don't you come to dinner? And one of the themes, of course, in Esther is also the idea of immediacy. The king says immediately, all right, get Haman. Um, let's go immediately. i got to find out. Cancel my schedule for the day. And so they go and they have a great dinner. And the king by now is just like, 
Nobody risks their life to serve me dinner. I mean, it's a really nice thought, and I'm really pleased with it, but come on, there's got to be something. And so he says again to Esther, what's your request up to half of my kingdom? I mean, I decree that everybody should have as much beer as they want or much wine as they want, and they should sit on my golden couches, and we should have these big parties. Like, surely I'm good for it. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And Esther's response is, I'd like you to come again to another feast tomorrow. The king's like, oh, come on. Like, seriously? (laughs) So, the king and Haman return home, and Haman, as he's walking out of the castle on cloud nine, like, wow, I'm just the greatest. And that's a fact. He sees, he sees Mordecai, this guy that won't bow down to me, that won't give me honor. And he's just furious, like he just loses it. It takes all of his self-control to walk past and to go home. And as soon as he gets home, he gathers his family together, and he sings about how great he is. And he tells them all of his wonderful accomplishments that I am almost the king, really. Like, seriously, I'm that good. And his wife is just like, well, you know, you just need to deal with this guy. So, you know, why don't you hang him? And Haman's like, brilliant. And he, as as his evening progresses, he has a 75-foot-tall gallows built. Well, while Haman is working on that, we return to the palace. Esther chapter 6. This is God's word. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows. And he had prepared that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse to the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry! Take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. 
leave nothing that you have mentioned. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for your word, and as we come to it, I pray that you would send your spirit, that you would make it live in our lives for your glory and for your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine a scene for a moment that it's a graduation. And in this case, it would be from Agagate High School, some maybe 20 years previous to our text. And Haman was, of course, the valedictorian of his class. He was the, the one in the yearbook that would have had most likely to succeed written under his name. And as he stands and the graduates gathered, he says to them, Make a bucket list. Find all the things that you want in life and go for them. Check them off one after the next, after the next, after the next. Don't be one of those chickens that flops around. Be an eagle that flies above everything. And of course, he would add a number of other cringeworthy sayings along the way. And he'd finish by saying, And above all else, wherever you go, you'll be above them all. And he'd walk off the stage and everyone would applaud and they'd think, yes, we're going to accomplish all of our life's goals and we're going to be above it all. And all those other billions of people in the world that aren't like us, well, too bad for them, because we're the ones on top. And so, Haman has proceeded to work his way to the top. And even as he's putting up a set of gallows to hang hang the fool that won't give him his due... He's thinking, I've won. I'm winning. Finally, everything that I've looked for, I'm going to have it. Except for one thing. I won't yet be king. But I'm sharpening my dagger. Maybe I'll get there too. It could happen. I mean, I've had this storied life, after all. 
everything has come up roses for me. And he doesn't hear the echo of God's truth that the Lord knows the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked will perish. He doesn't know that there's a tornado up in the sky that is aiming at his house. He doesn't know that destruction always comes. And that the Lord has a right to judge anyone at any time. The Lord has a right to do that today for any one of us. The Lord has a right to call time anytime he wants to. And Haman, he thinks he's won. But even as he's at work, there's insomnia in Persia. Haman has chosen insomnia so he can work on his plot. You know, you have that adrenaline rush. Ah, yes, this is going to be a great day coming up. No need to even go to sleep. He's brewing an extra pot of coffee to work him through. Well, the king can't sleep. And I can't help but imagine that the king has insomnia for the very reason that you and I might have before a really big day or when there's an unresolved problem in our minds. You've probably all had that experience, right? Something happened during your day or you're excited about something or there's a problem and you haven't resolved it or figured it out, so you can't sleep. And I would jokingly say that the book of the Chronicles of the King would be very similar to one of you picking up the Presbyterian Church in America Book of Church Order for your nighttime reading. It's pretty exciting in there. I mean, you're, you're working your way through, and it has a procedure for how to run a session meeting. You know, I mean, maybe not that much detail, but some general rules. I mean, rules are just fun. So you can just imagine, you know, they're reading through, you know, such and such from such and such a country came to visit the king and brought him a few hundred dollars in gold, or, you know, they're reading along, and then they're like, oh, and Mordecai the, the Jew, and so you can just imagine the king being like, oh, now this is interesting. No, somebody saved my life. Who would that happen to be? Oh, it actually was the uncle of the queen. Interesting. So, I mean, you just hear the providence of God is just screaming in this text at us. Like, maybe God isn't mentioned, but his providence is screaming. Like, I don't know how many of you, you know, you have a, a Bible, right? Like, ever play the game, like, what would happen if I just had it fall open? Like, you know, what would it come to? Like, surely the king had been king a long time before Esther showed up. Like, how is it that somehow this is just where the book opened? This is just where they were reading that night. And so the king is like, okay, this is really interesting reading. So you've got Haman awake, getting his gallows ready. You've got the king who can't sleep. We don't know what Esther is doing. I can't help but think she's probably not sleeping a lot either. I mean, there's a sense of, all right, I've got to plan this feast for tomorrow. What's going to happen? And, of course, Mordecai isn't mentioned. And one of the things that is just happening here is that God's people don't know what's happening behind the scenes. 
And there's an important point of application for our lives is that the, the Lord controls who's awake and who's asleep. The Lord controls what people are reading. The Lord controls when people are going to rise and when people are going to fall. And we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We are not sovereign, and thank the Lord that we are not. But sometimes I think that, especially in cultural moments such as we live right now, there is a sense that sometimes we feel like Haman and his people, the Agagites, are winning. They, they seem to be winning certain cultural narratives or moralities that exist in our world. And we can be really pessimistic and we can think the writing is on the wall for the church. There's a new book out that's called The Great Dechurching. And it talks about how through COVID and through other circumstances, there are a lot of people that are simply exiting the doors of the church. Even people who claim to have faith are saying, well, I don't need to do church anymore. I can do as one person, when asked where they went to church, they said, well, I go to home church. And there's a lot of pessimism that exists about God's kingdom. Is it going to succeed? Is it going to turn out okay? The kings seem to be making decrees against it. The people in power are making decrees. And we can be tempted to think, well, what we see is all that there is. And sometimes even in moments where it seems like you've got a plan, and Esther had a plan, and Mordecai's plan seemed to be to keep showing up faithfully, which that's a really interesting kind of idea here too, is that Mordecai, he's just always there, right? He just keeps showing up, keeps doing his business. But whatever the case... I want us to appreciate that the Lord holds the hearts of rulers. He holds the little details of books and where they fall open. He holds what is read. And so Esther and Mordecai have no idea. They have no idea that early in the morning, Haman intends to show up and have Mordecai killed. Like, they don't even realize the threat that's above them. And I think there's a, another angle on that, too, is that sometimes we have no idea the threats that God neutralizes so that we never even knew that they existed. We never even knew that our lives were in danger, and the Lord just resolved that without our knowledge ever being made aware of that. And so it is important to even look at this text and say, Praise the Lord that he is sovereign over everything that we don't know. Amen? Praise the Lord that he is working in the hearts of people who will be his servants even if they are not. In the sense that there's no reason to think that this king has any desire to honor God, right? But God says, I'm going to use this unbelieving, lousy, good-for-nothing king... And he's going to make some decrees and do some things that I want him to do so that the situation and the plan that my people have is going to prosper. And if you think about it, the plan of Esther to, to in a sense, spring a trap for Haman, God is making everything work together so that it not just goes a little bit well, but it is a smashing success. 
I've often appreciated this in life, that sometimes the things that are the greatest successes are the things that you never could have controlled the variables on. You never could have said, I I could do that. I think of just little things. If God is sovereign over little things, is he not sovereign over big things? Like... I, I think of the first job I had out of seminary. I mean, that came about by a chance meeting of someone at a desk who they came to me because they were looking for a pen to write something down. Like, so God is sovereign over a guy who needs a pen that's walking along past where I'm sitting. Like, how on earth does that happen? Like, we, we think, well, you know, God's decrees are for these big things. God's decrees are for the little things. If you can trust him in the little things, if he has that level of control and sovereignty and providence in little things, like whether you can fall asleep or night at night, surely he has control over the big things. So there's insomnia in Persia, and that leads to an early start to the morning. And we have a inquiry by the king. And he actually has a couple of different inquiries. Um, But the first inquiry is, well, what's been done? You know, for a king, and kings were supposed to be known for their royal generosity, and we've seen that in the book of Esther already. The huge feasts, and when he picked Esther as queen, he threw a banquet. The kings were supposed to be generous. And so the king picked out an injustice. He inquired, like, what's been done? Like, I didn't read in the story that I then made a decree that we have a national holiday for Mordecai because he saved the king's life. Like, what's been done? And his advisors are like, nothing. And so the king is immediately on a mission. Got to do something. And of course, we then see the pattern that's followed us through Esther duplicated again. This king needs advice. He almost seems like a puppet on some level. And maybe this is why Haman was able to rise to power. Because this king was willing to follow the harebrained and lame advice of people who had their own agenda. But whatever the case, Haman shows up. And you can almost, you know, see Haman being like, how could it get any better? This is the best day ever. Like, I show up early, and the king's already awake. <laughs> like, I don't have to bother him. And no sooner do I get in here than the servants come and say, Hey, Haman, the king wants you. He's just like, yes, this could be the best day of my life. And he walks in. And before he can speak... The king is just, you know, you can just imagine he's just ready to blurt it out. Here's what I need, O king. The king says, just just wait a minute. I need your help. Let me inquire with you as to what you do about a situation I've got. You see, there's somebody I want to honor. And for the first time in the whole book, we get this picture. The book offers commentary on the person. It offers commentary on the motives in the heart of the person. And Haman thinks to himself, well, wow, like, whoa, like, I've got the winning Powerball ticket here. Like, this could, 
this day couldn't get any better. I mean, who would the king want to honor more than moi? Like, I am, I'm the best. So, what do I really want? I actually really want to be king. Let's just be honest. I want to be king. And since there still is a king, since there still is a king, the best thing, or the next best thing, would be to be paraded around like a king. So that everybody will see me as being equal to the king. And they'll treat me as if I am the king. And I don't know how to read in between the lines, and maybe this is reading too much in between the lines, but I think Haman had higher aspirations than just to be the highest advisor to the king. There's no way a man with this much pride and this much arrogance stops. And if he's paraded around and seen as the king, and he's making decrees as the king, he's using power like the king, and the king is a puppet, I mean, it doesn't take that much more to just stage a coup, right? But whatever the case, he's like, today's a great day. I'd like to be a king. Make me king for the day, O king. That's what I would do. So the king's inquiry and, you know, there's always a saying, you gotta, you got to be careful what you assume. And one of the assumptions of the wicked is that there is no God. And so Haman's assumptions are just flat out wrong. And those assumptions will always come due. Those that assume that there is no God... There will be a moment where that assumption will be the end of them. And so, the king says something that could only be categorized in the mind of Haman as sheer insanity. So we have the insomnia, we have the inquiry, and then we have the insanity. Uh, what did you just say, O king? That I'm to take Mordecai? M Mordecai the Jew? M have you not heard about how I made a decree on your behalf to wipe those people out? I mean, you can just imagine the man on the street segment. You know, as Mordecai's being paraded through the streets. And you ask the, the man who's politically engaged on the street. So what's going on here? The guy's like, well, apparently the king wants to honor Mordecai the Jew. Um, and you say, well, are you aware that the king has declared death to all of the Jews, including Mordecai? The guy's just like, well, you know what to say about these sorts of kings we have these days? Like, what is their problem? Like, they seem to be pretty short-sighted. Like, I don't know what to say about this king. He's kind of conflicted confused. Maybe he's insane. Who knows why the king does what the king does. And again, you have that contrast between this king and the ruler of all of the world, the true God. This king, 
he's just living for today. He's making these random decrees that seem self-contradictory, and he's throwing this around and that around. He's taking the advice of this guy to go one direction, and the next day he's taking the advice of another guy to go that direction. What, what do you do about earthly kings? They seem to think that they're in control, but they are just confused. And their confusion may seem to be hidden for a time, but it will be revealed. You can just imagine Haman, if he lived in modern, the modern-day world, he's on his social media account. And he's just like, you will not believe what happened. Hashtag worst day ever. And the people who were looking at his Instagram that morning would have read, you will not believe what a day this is going to be. Hashtag best day ever. And the line between the best and the worst day ever is exposed by God's hand of providence. Well, God seems to be really good at turning the tables. And the amount of time that it takes God to turn the tables for Haman is approximately 1.9 seconds. From this is what you should do for the man whom the king delights to honor to go and do that. In the time go and do that, it went from best to worst. So Haman returns home after he, what he would say is simply an insane day. And his advisors, he has advisors too. And apparently his advisors, and again, you just have got to appreciate the way that sometimes God intervenes and gives people insight that's only supernatural. Again, I don't believe his advisors or his wife, there's no evidence that they were people of faith or even good people, right? And what do they say to him? They say, we know the history. They're the graduates of Agagate High School. And then there are the people from the Benjaminite clan. Then there are the Israelites, the people of Judah, the God's people. And we know that every single time that we've gone after him, we've lost. And somehow you thought today would be different? Come on, Haman. We even told you to build these gallows because we thought it would be different too. So hope springs eternal. The counselor meeting with the person who's getting married for the eighth time. And they're sure that this time they found their soulmate. Hope springs eternal. Unbelief, stubborn, hard-headed unbelief. It keeps thinking that maybe meaning and purpose and life and victory can be had with the next thing. And they go after the next thing and they grab hold of the next thing and they find that that doesn't work either. And there's that sense of just finally, like Haman was the last best hope. For the Agagite clan. Finally, we've got a shot at them. 
God has always smashed us before, but maybe this time he won't. But they understand the trajectory. Once God's judgment begins to be carried out, God does not stop. He doesn't simply say, oh, well, the wicked uh, will we'll let that slide. Like, they will be destroyed. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so, Haman's sitting there, and even as he's mourning how bad his day went, and I just want you to appreciate the irony of this story. The king's eunuchs come to pick him up for the party. And so as Haman is being taken away to the king's party, hosted by Esther, as he is, as he is sitting there, going to what should be his moment of triumph, it's just a train wreck. And as he looks up and sees the still empty gallows, I wonder if something like that phrase that one young lady had in her graduation speech would have gone through his head. That in the end you'll be above them all. But then again... That wasn't the kind of above them all that Haman was looking for. He was wanting to be above them all in terms of power, in terms of authority, in terms of wealth, in terms of position. He was going to have it all. And it's, it's teetering. And what's it going to be? Haman's life, even as Esther and Mordecai and the king, in all of this story, there have been moments where all of their lives have hung in the balance. All of their lives have hung in the balance. And they could tip either way from a human perspective. And still, as chapter 6 comes to an end, you could say, well, this thing could tip either way for Haman. I mean, he might recover, he might be able to still be victorious. Like, the battle's not done yet. And sometimes I wonder if too often we live our lives in that place where we think, well, this could tip either way. Like, this day could be good or it could be awful. My life could turn out well or it could turn out awful. My dreams could be achieved or they might not be achieved. My plans might be accomplished or they might not be accomplished. My bucket list that I've worked so hard to, to write out and to check off. What would happen if the things are not done on it? And, and we're left with that picture of life in the balance. And if there is no God, there is every reason to live in terror of that moment of that every moment 
that what do I not know about that is going to destroy my plans? But then there are Christians. Even as even as Haman is in distress, the text just notably throws in there, and Mordecai went back to his place at the king's gate. Like, being paraded around like a king, he didn't go home and celebrate. He just went back to his normal everyday life. And you get this sense that this guy is living as if his life is not in the balance. From day one, he's been living his life as if it's not in the balance. He's refused to bow down to Haman. He's, re he's, re he's refused to play the games of the kingdom. His life's not in the balance. And if you know Jesus, your life is not in the balance either. There is not a sense that you're at the middle of that teeter-totter and could fall into hell or heaven depending on how today goes. There is not a sense that your eternal destiny is sitting on that teeter-totter and you could be flipped to one end or the other depending on how the day goes. And there is a sense of purpose and calm and peace that comes in saying, as Esther said in chapter 4, if I perish, I perish. Not that I want to perish, but if this is what the Lord has for me, I will receive it from his hand. And I will trust him with everything that I have. And what is being demonstrated to us more than anything else is that simple reality that on the worst day, God is still sovereign. And there were days that were dark for God's people, and there are days that are dark for sinners. And we turn our eyes not to ourselves and our plans, but to God's plan. Because there was a tree and there was a person that was above all others. And he set that aside and came to earth. And he was set up and his death was prated in front of others so that everyone would see he was made an example of. Just as, just as Haman hoped to make an example of Mordecai, Jesus was made an example of what you don't do. You don't try to threaten the empire. You don't try to be a king. And even though it appeared that as things were in the balance, evil won, there was another day coming on that day too. And so whatever is happening in your life today, Whatever things that you feel like are in the balance, that could tip it one way or the other, be reminded that you're actually not there. <laughs> because if you're in Christ, you're standing on a rock that isn't moving anywhere, no matter what the winds blow, no matter what the day may bring, no matter what the plots are. You are standing in a place where you will not be moved. And you can live your life confident that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked 
will perish. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the hope that we have, that we do not have to live our lives in, in fear, but we can live our lives knowing that your providence and your work will lead to our redemption, and even has led to our redemption in Jesus now, and we look toward the day when all things will be made new. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name and God's people said.